People who don't believe in magic, or hate magic, don't understand what magic is. Magic is science you don't yet understand, and the miracle you do. It's the lens of wonder that shows you hidden symbols of color in everyone else's gray, black, and white world. Magic is the song in my head that used to run all the time. That's not a metaphor. I literally had music that would wake me up in the morning, and I would find myself singing as my eyes opened. The first time I noticed it stop or skip was when I was hanging out with a friend in college. Friend. With quotation marks around it. I looked up. What? he asked. The music in my head stopped, I said, confused. My friends warned me about him and didn't like me hanging out with him as much as I did. He later turned out to be more of a user than a friend. Fortunately, he didn't get anything other than a bit of my pride, and I still had magical music in my head for years after he left my life. Did I ever tell you, my children, before the modern medical system excised the music from my head for good, of the magical beings I found whispering in the hospital hallways? Did I ever tell you, my children, of the time I met the fairies? One of my proudest moments in medical school happened during my psychiatry rotation. It was one of those rotations that depended entirely on you. Either you could sit in a chair bored for an entire day, watching someone else work, or you could actually help practice psychiatry, interviewing patients and making recommendations with the whole psych team around the smooth, dark wood table in the library. The lead psychiatrist had a fantastic sense of humor, so many bow ties, and the hottest wife on the island. Also a psychiatrist, who wore her plus size as plus sensuality in bedazzling jumpsuits and jewels. It used to make me uncomfortable how they and many of my other teachers in PR would wax political about medicine. Later in residency, I would miss how much the Puerto Rican teachers cared about the poor. These two were true activists and would do anything to get their patients care, even if it required usurping admin roles. They were also kind to fairies. A patient with long-term schizophrenia came in, a quiet, portly man, with what we call a slightly blunted affect, which means he didn't have much facial expression. He had other medications on board, but he wasn't on an antipsychotic to turn off his magical reality. Around the wooden table of destiny, they were going down the checklist of standard things to do. Emotional stability? All right. So then, for a medication for the hallucinations. I raised my hand. Oh, uh, we asked him what his hallucinations tell him to do. The bow-tied psychiatrist turned to me. His only hallucinations are voices from the television, where he hears messages telling him to do good and treat others kindly. And his caretaker says he has no history of violence. The DSM-5 states over and over that things only apply if they impair function and safety, right? Well, he's functional and safe. Since antipsychotics can cause permanent nervous system damage, does he even really need one? Dr. Botias turned to my resident physician. She shrugged. You know what? You're right. The psychiatrist nodded. If his television friends aren't hurting anyone, he can keep them. And so the fairies in the television lived to whisper another day. I like to think they'll do me a good turn one day, too. Did I ever tell you, my children, of the time I met Rapunzel? Rapunzel was locked in the hospital tower longing to escape and see her daughter. She had lovely dark hair, but it wasn't long enough anymore for her to climb down and escape. Someone evil, I don't know whether a witch or someone else, had shot her in the base of her spine as a teenager, so now she was paralyzed from the mid-back down and under my care for the umpteenth skin infection in her lower back near where the bullet now lived. She was another one of those patients residents talk crap about because she argued with nurses. Well, hell, I would argue with the nurse too if they'd messed up my medication dose like they did hers. They're going to kill me, she said. I don't trust them. 
It's hard to trust anybody when you can't even trust your own body to shit for you. And another human being caused your bodily betrayal. But we did need her to take this anti-clotting medication daily. How about this? I said, I've got the order right here in your book. We will, all three of us, you and me and the nurse, check the medication, agree on it, and go from there. It was too easy and it worked. She took her medication every day that I saw her, and we enjoyed each other. She told me about her daughter, and I checked everything that worried her, all the tingles in her wrists or knots in her belly that she feared, and back then I enjoyed the attention as much as she did. She was, whether she knew it or not, teaching me every time I taught her something about her own health. We laughed, too, and chatted about art and life, maybe the way normal women our age did. One day, I came into the hospital, another medical student, a fourth year who outranked me, ordered me to let her see Rapunzel. It's not really fair to her to be switching up personnel all the time, I argued. She's not terribly comfortable with new people. Well, you need other patients to learn on, the fourth year hissed. Sure, and I would gladly take other patients too, but was that attitude really necessary? I thought we could all learn things without stressing out our traumatized paraplegic princess, could we not? I swallowed the argument and went about my business until our presentations in morning rounds. You know how Rapunzel is, the fourth year said to the attending. She's combative and depressed, so she doesn't know anything about her care. She refused her medications again today. So typical. I was furious. I swallowed this, too. Knowing myself now, I have no idea how I managed to speak with such gentleness. I must have known God better back then. I think there must have been some misunderstanding, I said. She hasn't refused her medications a single day since I've been here and only started refusing them because someone made a mistake and brought her a different color med one day. She's actually very attentive to her care and eager to work with us as a team. The attending agreed to enter the room and talk with the patient together with me to regain her confidence in our medications. Uh, again, I felt like all the work I'd done to gain this woman's trust had been shattered, but we were able to apologize and get her back on her blood thinners as needed. But the next morning, I got up an hour earlier. People shouldn't just be on and off their blood thinners willy-nilly. These are dangerous medications. And you can't blame Rapunzel. She's been through literal fire. She's scared of heights and traps and liars. Blame is pointless anyway. Sure, health is the patient's responsibility, but healing is mine. If bullying her to take her medications doesn't work, freaking find another way, fourth year. And if me getting up an hour earlier so she could see a smiling third year who didn't judge her, if that was the way, then dang it, I would make it happen. See, if I got up an hour earlier and rounded on all the patients, no other medical student would waste the work of rounding on them again. Thank goodness you're here, Rapunzel said to me. That other girl was so rude. We're not supposed to talk shit about other professionals either, so I just asked, what does she do? She didn't do anything. She didn't even examine me. Just asked a few questions with this attitude and left, Rapunzel scowled. I didn't like how she talked about you. I smiled. Why? What did she say? I asked where my doctor was, and she got all arrogant with me. Rapunzel looked down. I hope I didn't get you in trouble. She said you can't call yourself a doctor because you're a student, but I explained you hadn't done that. I just called you a doctor, out of respect. I nodded. I was familiar with the tradition. Most Puerto Ricans called me doctor already. It was something our new non-Hispanic school president would never understand. In Puerto Rico... Medical students have a vital impact on their patients' lives and treatment plans because the history of physician shortage in the area fostered a modern philosophy of hands-on, train-as-you-fight education. 
now dead in the rest of the U.S. You didn't get me in trouble by calling me a doctor, I said. I don't think she's even here today. If there's any problem, you can tell my attending what you told me. Ugh, I just hated her voice. She's not a doctor, Rapunzel mimicked. Rapunzel had quite the attitude, and I laughed. I was glad her fire was on my side. That fourth year saw mental illness and weakness, but only because true princesses often live amongst us disguised. If you got shot in the spine and locked in the tallest tower of a hospital, could you handle it with half Rapunzel's grace? And she did, in fact, let down her hair and take her medications every day for the rest of my time with her. Letting someone else in is often the first step to escaping our towers. It takes a princess to have that kind of courage. Did I tell you, my children, how I met a pirate? The hot bovie whispered as it plunged into the pale, mannequin-like flesh of my patient's leg, mottled ghastly white because of the vascular disease. Her skin separated under the cauterizing electric blade like friable paper. Go ahead, the pirate said to me. I took a deep breath, gripped the tool. I met her because no one else wanted her. Another patient with depression, the physicians over me grumbled. Give her to the third year. It's what you do with patients you don't want. You can't trust what she says. They warned me she has depression. Yes, because being irreparably sad makes you somehow a liar. I see, yes, that's how mental health works. I wasn't full of acid then, like now, and I saw those assignments as magical callings, special opportunities orchestrated for me from the beyond. Aurelia was my patient because she was destined to be my patient. Good morning, my cheery voice entered the room ahead of me as I washed my hands. Aurelia had a MRSA infection in her amputated leg, so I had to glove up and drape myself in the thin, floating yellow protective cloak. The light material trailed around me like sunshine itself as I met the single ray of light from the window in the dark room. By her bed, I checked her heart, the circulation to her remaining foot, and the draining wound on her amputation while we talked. She feared abandonment and felt hopeless. Her voice whined, but I didn't mind. She reminded me of someone. I'm so nervous about the surgery, she said. Why do they have to cut me again? Just have to get that infected drain port out of your vessel. What can I do now? I can't walk, I can't move around, and I'm fat, but I can't do anything about it. All the doctors tell me to lose weight. How? Hold on. I held my phone through my yellow gown. I have a video for you. She didn't quite scoot closer to me to see, but it feels like that in my memory because her energy perked up the tiniest bit and she leaned in. I brought up a video of a double amputee absolutely destroying his fully-limbed competition in wrestling. It gave me hope. She sighed and flopped back against her raised hospital bed. That could never be me. I didn't want to discourage her further. I sidestepped with something about little steps about how well she was doing today. Just staying alive with depression is a difficult thing. It takes time to get anywhere, and that's okay. Talking with her was like dancing in a minefield, a streamer of sunshine in my hand, my toes, and combat boots. It's hard to be both sweet and honest. So I said to her what I wanted to hear, what I wished every day someone would say to me. I'd survived a suicidal stint in college because of the color green and the magic of climbing roofs and crawling underground, finding murals and secret societies people didn't even know existed under their feet. The words that could have healed me don't heal everybody, but I led with what I knew. I held her hand, checking the flow in her ulnar and radial arteries. The warm beat of the radial pulse comforted me. I'd struggled with the Allen's test at first to get the flesh in her palm first on one side and then the other, but after many days I had it. And somehow by the end of each conversation, Aurelia smiled. 
When she went under the knife, it was just me and the pirate. The pirate with his enormous beard covered up by the huge, fluffy surgical caps we wore on our heads, his stocky shoulders squared to the surgical table, hunched like he might jump someone. They throw, throw around the term piercing stare too liberally. This guy actually had one, one that made residents clam up and even had other attendings scared. Or maybe his speech unnerved them. He talked like a Mexican gangster from his training in vascular surgery in that country. Technically, Aurelia didn't belong to me, but to the pirate. And the pirate didn't much care whether the patient smiled or not. He cared that they lived and got better. He cared so much that he once shouted at an old woman in front of me. His face beat red as he violently implored her to stop smoking because her vasculature couldn't handle it anymore and as her distal vessels closed under the poison, she was going to need further surgeries. And rather than being happy that more surgeries would increase his bottom line, he was deeply, deeply pissed off for her. At her for her. I took the good cop approach and sat down with the crying woman afterwards, comforting her with my depression speak, and she liked me much better. But she lived. Because of him. Whispers about the pirate's legendary temper traveled the hallways. He's fighting the hospital administration to protect his patients, you know. He's the reason the new equipment showed up. He's pioneering aortic surgeries on the island. When everyone else says it's hopeless, he'll try to rescue a burst aneurysm. He'll try. He's problematic. If he mistreats you, you let me know. I remember the residents trembling as he chewed them out during morning rounds. His actual words, I think, were that he would leave them diaphoretic if they endangered his patient like that again. I don't know the situation. I don't know if they messed up because they were simply overworked or if they were careless, but in the moment I knew two things. One, I would love for anyone to be that protective for my sake. And two, I definitely never wanted to be on the receiving end of that roar. The residents talked crap about my patients every day and didn't seem to like me much so I didn't exactly weep for them. On my part, I just feared hearing a raunchy joke during surgery. There was just one, and it was quite bad, but my brain recorded over it with something more important, so I don't remember it now. I remember the moment the pirate handed me the tweezers. It was really a surgery. Every day I'd examined her, written notes on her, studied her chart, and here in her operation, I stared at him, hesitating. Attending physicians don't let lowly med students work with them like that. Usually, residents get precedence. It's an easy procedure, he shrugged. Just take the end of the infected shunt. I gripped the small forceps. Their steel was hot through my gloves. They pinched the edge of the white long rubber hose now breeding infection in her vessel. It was slippery, but firm under my squeeze. I pulled. Pus oozed from the tube. Gosh, it was long. And then it was out. Two things he said to me. One, when you're in an austere area, you don't get to cauterize bleeders with a bovie electrical scalpel. You have to tie them up, so you better be damn good at tying knots. And two, you need to be more assertive around the residents getting procedures with presentations. Just seize it. Don't be afraid. He stripped off his gloves and tore off his scrubs. With a casual flip of the wrist, he hurled the bloody garments into the trash, and as he swaggered out while the Tex and I waited behind for Relia to wake up, I knew I'd met a pirate. Pirates aren't always the good guys. I definitely heard this one threaten somebody who had threatened his son with a severe beating. But if I were the son, I would want my father to stand up for me like that too. Pirates aren't always the bad guys either. They're the ones who will stand up to anyone 
bad or good, who gets in the way of their treasure. And his treasure happened to be human life. Aurelia woke up and gripped my arm. Please don't leave me, she said. I'm so glad you're here. Please, please don't leave me. It's okay, Aurelia, I said. The surgery's over. I'm going to go to another patient now, but you're okay. You're just coming off the anesthesia. That's why you feel so anxious. I'll never forget you. I'll never, ever forget you. It just so happened that the next morning she had absolutely no recall of that conversation because of the effects of the anesthesia. But I didn't mind. My smile lifted her spirits during her hospitalization, and technically I was the one who took out her infected shunt. The smile thing, that was my job. The shunt, the surgeon obviously could have done, or anyone else under his supervision. But I dealt in hope. That was the treasure I could dispense and defend. And maybe, to defend it, one day I'd become a pirate too. Did I tell you, my children? Did you hear the faint whispers of the magic? If you like this episode of Death and the Doctor, the art of killing a physician slowly, be sure to subscribe to Emergency Exit Podcast wherever you get your pods. This series of short stories chronicles the losses and near misses that our doctor encountered during her first few years of medical practice. listening to this episode of Death and the Doctor. I'm Jen Finelli, the licensed physician voice behind um, the series. Mental health care is very important to me because of the only personal trauma that I have dealt with and because of the impact I've seen on my patients. So if you or a loved one are at risk, um, the phone number for the suicide helpline is 1-800-273-8255. Or for the crisis text line, you can text HOME, that's H-O-M-E, or Hotel Oscar Mike Echo, to 741-741 in the U.S., or 686-868 in Canada. I also went ahead and, along with the Emergency um, Exit Podcast Network, we've gone ahead and affiliated with BetterHelp.com. In these current times, it can be difficult to go out to find a therapist, and a lot of times people's insurance doesn't always cover what they need. There are cheap and affordable uh, therapist options at BetterHelp, and like I always tell my patients, if you need to fire your therapist and pick another one, you always can. You always should take care of picking the therapist that's best for you, but if you would like to take advantage of our 10% offer, um, we do have a special link for you at has offers tracking.betterhelp.com slash s h d y. That's has offers tracking.betterhelp.com slash s h d y. So that link is also going to be in the description of every episode. So, one more time, in order to get 10% off of your teletherapy so that you can take care of yourself effectively. Um, please go to hasofferstracking.betterhelp.com slash S as in Sierra, H as in Hotel, D as in Delta, and Y as in Yankee. And that's has offers tracking with an S. I really hope that you find that helpful. And if not, do what you need to do to try to find care in the area near you. It's also always a viable option if you have a well-trained chaplain um, or you have a well-trained school counselor. 
sometimes they can get you the help that you need as well. Every single person, whether a counselor or a pastor or a school counselor or a therapist, can sometimes be hit and miss because the evidence shows that the biggest thing that makes a difference for patients actually getting better is if you have a good rapport with the therapist. So if it's not working, get a different one. It's okay. A professional isn't going to be offended. What I like about being able to use BetterHelp.com is you have an enormous network of therapists all over the world that you can use to help you out. Um, it is U.S.-based company, and while I can't give you some kind of insurance referral or anything like that to them, this affiliate link is a great way to both support the show and do what you need to do to make sure that you're healthy to be able to help other people. Thank you very much for listening to the show, and have good adventures. Adventures.